Eagles Entertainment. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got another fun show today. We're going to get started here with Pick 6, where I'm going to welcome in my friend Greg Cosell to talk about, I don't want to say sleepers, but guys that maybe are, are falling a little bit under the radar, uh, guys that can outperform their draft position. So we'll take one player from a, a different position, six different positions, and just talk through them with Greg, guys that have stood out from to him on film that you need to know about before we get to the draft next month. After that, we're going to go to Mr. Relevant, where this week, I'm really excited to welcome in Hayden Winks, who works over at NBC Sports Edge. You can go follow him on Twitter, at Hayden Winks. And he's going to take us through a really analytically focused approach to some of the pass catchers in this draft. We're going to talk through Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, a couple of other names as well. How do they stand out? How do they separate themselves from each other? We're going to talk through that uh, with Hayden. Really fun conversation. A little bit of a different angle than we typically hit on here on the show. And then we're going to go to Draft Buzz, where Ben Fennell and I are going to dive into another mock draft, this time from Mike Renner of PFF. And we're going to get through a three-round mock draft. Big takeaways there uh, from our friend Mike Renner. And then we've got our draft mailbag. We've got a good question from you at home as well. Uh, Before we get things started, I wanted to quickly remind you once again, jump onto our Apple podcast page, leave us that rating, leave us the comments, the best way to get your voice heard here on the show. And not only that, but it helps boost this podcast up the ratings, makes it more visible to other people looking for NFL draft podcast. So appreciate everybody that has done that. Also, before we get going, just want to give you guys a heads up over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast this week. I welcomed in former NFL offensive lineman Eric Wood to talk about the offensive line position and get some tips from him on how to scout interior offensive linemen. I don't know about you guys, but that's a position where I've had a decent amount of misses over the years, both guys that I underrated and guys that I overrated. So uh, interested to kind of get his thoughts on the offensive line position. It was a, a really fun discussion. Go check it out over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. But let's get this episode rolling now. It's time now for Greg Cosell in Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, well, let's get into pick six as I welcome in my friend Greg Cosell. And Greg, uh, you know, you and I were talking earlier this week about uh, the kind of players we would do this week and what we were going to focus on. And we kind of settled in on a handful of players that, you know, I don't I don't even think you can call these guys sleepers necessarily, but almost like the, the forgotten guys at positions where, you know, we feel like maybe they can outperform uh, at least the preconceived notions of them right now as we sit here uh, a few weeks from the draft. Uh, I'm excited to dive into some of these guys with you. Well, you know, it's really funny, Fran, because, you know, as you know, and for people who've heard me over the last number of years, I don't really get into mocks and I don't get into lists. I mean, I just like what I love to do is sit and evaluate players and project and transition, because I always think that's that's the whole point of this is you're you're trying to put them into the National Football League. Right. And, you know, so we're going to talk about a lot of players. I don't know where they are on people on teams boards, obviously. You know, I don't teams don't give you their boards. And I don't know where a lot of other draft uh, guys have these guys on their lists. I don't know that, but I just know when I watch them and take my notes, how I feel about them looking at their traits and attributes and characteristics and how I think that will ultimately transition to the national football league. So uh, that's why you got me here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try and relay, relay <laughs> some of that from, from a media standpoint. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. Give, give you a little bit of a heads up on how people view these people, view these players uh, from the outside. So uh, let's start at running back. And uh, this is a guy I know you and I both love on tape, and it would not surprise us at all 
if Kenny Gainwell from Memphis, who opted out this past season, uh, he would have been a redshirt sophomore. He was a redshirt freshman last year, was their leading rusher. Um, and I, I believe it was their second leading receiver as well. Uh, but that Kenny Gainwell could be one of the best backs in this class. Uh, I'd be interested to kind of get your thoughts on, on what you saw from him. obviously nothing from this year, but going back to your notes from the summer, uh, shed some light here on Kenny Gainwell. Yeah. Kenny Gainwell, I watched last summer and I got to tell you, I, I knew nothing about him. I mean, obviously we've, we've had backs come out of Memphis recently um, and that have played in the league, obviously, but I remember putting on Gainwell last summer. Just and it's funny I'm saying this because I saw his name on a list. That's right. So, <laughs> it all um, comes full circle. Yeah, I know it all does. It all does. Um, and I, I have to tell you, I've been doing this a long time, and maybe I'm a little jaded, but I was kind of blown away by Gainwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was almost your your classic NFL back in the sense that he was a very good runner. Not a sensational runner. You know, you don't look at Gainwell and go, wow, that's the best runner I've ever seen. But clearly had very, very good running traits and could run in both zone and gap scheme. Had kind of a darting, slashing style at the second and third levels. Um, Decisive. Um, But what really stood out to me was this kid as a receiver. And, and, And that's what jumped out as far as transitioning him to the league. Because this guy lined up all over the formation including detached. He was split out wide. He had snaps at the boundary X, which you don't see from backs very often, Fran, as you know. And I I, I made this note. I said, he's not quite at the same level athletically and explosively as Alvin Kamara, who's truly special, but I thought he presented similar value to an NFL offense with his multiple run game experience and his ability as a receiver all over the formation. Yep. And so I saw him very much like Kamara. And, you know, what people have to remember, we know what Kamara is in the NFL. But Kamara was not a top 20 pick. And, and one reason he was not a top 20 pick, I would imagine, is because he didn't have a lot of carries at Tennessee. I think if memory serves me correctly, he only had one game in his Tennessee career of 20 carries. Yeah, and by the way, he split time with uh, with Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd's freshman year, yeah. yes, he he gained like 1,200 yards at Tennessee yep. as a true freshman. Yep. Um, that's correct. Uh, and, uh, you know, Kamara, even in, in New Orleans now with Sean Payton, they use him, you know, he has 170, 175 carries, and that's what they do. Now, down the stretch of this past season, he had three or four games of 20-plus carries, and I guess we'll see what, what Sean Payton does with him in 2021. But up to this point, he's been used more as a, as a multidimensional back than as a foundation back, and I saw Kenneth Gainwell as that kind of player. Honestly, like, and you mentioned Alvin Kamara, and, and I agree with you that he's not the dynamic presence uh, that Kamara is. You know, Kamara's just got, you know, some of that twitch and some of that juice that Gainwell doesn't have. But just from a profile standpoint, right. I feel like, and we don't know where Gainwell's going to end up going. But I feel like, uh, you know, you look at Kareem Hunt when he was coming out of Toledo. Oh, he made people miss. He could, you know, he was a good receiver. Uh, you look back at Aaron Jones coming out of UTEP. Oh, you know, he's a, a really nifty runner. He's got good vision, uh, can make that first man miss. Oh, and he's a, a good receiver. Both guys came into the league as day three selections and, and became good runners that also were multidimensional threats that were used down the field in the passing game. 
I feel like Gainwell absolutely can be that guy. He can profile to be that kind of player for his future NFL offense. Couldn't agree more. And in fact, I, I just made a note of his routes when I did him last summer yep. because I started, you know, I was watching and I'm saying, wow, he's running a lot of routes. And it was flat, angle, multiple screen concepts, tunnel screens, shallow crossers, speed outs from the slot, out routes from plus splits, seams from eye back alignments, wheel routes, sail route from the yep. slot. And I remember that play. He caught a back shoulder fade from the boundary X alignment, which you never see with backs. So, I mean, this guy was running wide receiver routes from wide receiver splits. Mm, uh, he will always have a, uh, no matter where he ends up, uh, he will always stick out in my mind, Greg, because uh, he, I actually saw him live last year at when uh, Memphis came to play Temple. That was the first football game I ever bought my son to. And he was the guy who, walking away, I was like, man, this Gainwell kid's pretty good. And he was only a freshman, uh, but, you know, kind of filed the name away and studied him later that summer. Um, but Gainwell, uh, for sure, a very, very intriguing player, uh, the, kind of a forgotten man because he opted out. What did your son year. think, by the way? I mean, he look, he's the kind of player. He, he's got an eye. I mean, he he was excited whenever he touched the football. So, uh, you know, no, at that point, he was not he was not uh, interacting with the, what was going on around him as well uh, as he is now, for sure. Um, all right, let's get to the receiver position because uh, this is actually the only guy on this list. I have not gotten to North Texas receiver Jalen Darden yet, and I'm going to at some point for the draft. Um, but I know you are a big fan of him. And I know there are others out there who are big fans as well. Uh, tell us about Jalen Darden and you know why we should be so excited about him coming from North Texas. Well, he'll be a fascinating evaluation because he's smaller and the lower level of college competition. But you know what, Fran, as I was watching his tape, all I kept thinking was, what if he was in Alabama's offense in place of Jalen Waddell? And would we be discussing Jalen Darden in a totally different way? Now, Waddle is a better prospect. He's got more overall talent and he's slightly more explosive, but that's not my point. My, you know, Darden, Darden is an explosive kid. I mean, he's, he's small, he's quick, he's fast. He's shows that as a route runner. He shows that run after catch. He has a vertical dimension. Now, again, you're talking about a lower level of competition. So he he pretty consistently ran by the college corners he faced. And then you have to make the judgment. Will he do that at the next level? Whereas with Jalen Waddell, the players he's playing against in the SEC, a lot of those corners will be at the next level. Mm. So, you know, I, I am aware that you do have to factor that in. Um, I guess what you'd say about Darden is he has the look and feel of a conventional slot receiver, but he certainly can be more than that in an NFL offense today that uses, you know, a healthy dose of motion, those manufactured touches that everybody now talks about. Um, so he's probably somewhat schemed at the next level in terms of location within the formation, the motion, the specific routes. You want to get this kid the ball on the move. That's what you'd ideally like to do. I mean, I always, you know, the guy I always think of, of, and this goes back before these last two, three years where we started with the motion and the manufactured touches, the guy that always pops into my head is T.Y. Hilton, because he yep. had a four-year stretch where he had more than 130 targets in each of those four seasons, and that, that was before all this conversation, and, you know, I remember watching Hilton coming out of college, and what, he's 5'10", 180, and, you know, the, the consensus, of course, is, oh, that guy can't play. He's too small. And here's a guy who had 130-plus touches for four years. So I always think that way, too. But but I really like Jalen Darden on tape, and I'm so anxious to see where he goes and how he's used. 
you mentioned that he's not quite the prospect that Jalen Waddle is, but uh, you know, when, when you look at some of these other like undersized, speedy receivers yeah. in this class, like do you put him in that bucket with Tutu Atwell from Louisville or Rondell Moore from Purdue? Do you feel like he belongs in that same tier as like the you know those kind of guys, Marquez Stevenson from Houston? I do. Got it. I think that that's that group now. Yep. That it's almost a Tyree Kill group in the sense yeah. that, and Tyree Kill. And maybe the most explosive and Waddle, I think, is right there. But it's these kinds of players now that are motion movement players. Get them the ball any way you can. Jet sweeps, orbit reverses, screens, whatever teams can design to get these guys the ball on the move. That's become meaningful parts now of NFL offense. Mm -hmm. And I think Darden fits into that category for sure. All right, so Jalen Darden, North Texas, uh, a little bit under the radar in terms of the the national spotlight. One guy that uh, is a little bit more well known, I would say, because he's you know regarded as one of the top five players at his position is Hunter Long from Boston College. But with Long, you've got all these other names ahead of him. You look, talk about Brevin Jordan and Fryermuth, certainly right. Kyle Pitts. Uh, there's not as much discussion about Long, but uh, you and I actually kind of see him similarly in that we both think he can be an NFL starter and be an effective player in an NFL offense. I liked Long a lot. Okay, and again. You know, with tight ends, here's what you get into. There's only one Kyle Pitts, okay? So, and 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 even if someone like Brevin Jordan has clear athletic talent, he's not quite Kyle Pitts. So tight ends, and I don't know how you feel when you watch tight ends, but sometimes I struggle watching tight ends because it's not like watching a wide out or a back where you go, wow, look at that guy move. You know, there's very, very few of those kinds of tight ends. There's a whole bunch of tight ends, I think you would agree, that are really good players, but you don't come away going... That guy's just an incredibly special athlete. You and I have had these discussions about certain positions, and I feel like uh, you know people look at tight end the same way. Oh, well, you got to find Kyle Pitts, you got to find Travis Kelsey, but there aren't thirty-two of those. those There aren't thirty-two of those guys, and uh, people have to start tight ends in the NFL. Right, right. It's the same discussion we have about offensive tackle when everybody wants to move them to guard. And every Sunday in the NFL, sixty-four offensive tackles have to line up. So I mean, you know, not everyone is you know just looks pretty. You know, I mean, but tight ends sometimes I find. I don't want to say difficult, but, you know, I'm just not sure sometimes. But I made the point he's not a special athlete, but he's got good size. He's got plus movement traits. He catches the ball well. Um, He's got body control. He's got hands. We saw him in the last two years playing two totally different kinds of offenses. So we know he can do a lot of different things. He has a lot of experience lining up and running routes from different locations uh, within formations. I mean, you know, you know, let me throw something out to, to you. And, and okay. I'm not saying this is going to happen in the NFL for, for Hunter Long. But remember when Zach Ertz came out? I remember very well because I was I was you were there. We were yeah, working we were, together and I interviewed right. him. We were, in, we were in the Novacare complex. We, we right. were in the Novacare complex and I interviewed him when he came in, you know, after the Eagles drafted him. Sure. And he was what I think the 35th pick. He was a second round something pick. Something like that. Yep. Something like that. And I think we both agreed watching his tape, he was a good athlete, but not a special athlete, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, probably very justifiably a 35th pick. I'm sure some teams had him anywhere between 30 and and 60, you know, depending on the team and depending on how the draft played out that year. Now, on the Eagles, based on how they ran offense, he became a high volume target and therefore caught a lot of balls. Okay, now let's say he went to a different team, same trade, same player, but they didn't use the tight end as much and he only caught 50 balls. Would he have been a different player or just had different production? 
Yep. And I think with this position in particular, uh, a good example of that would be George Kittle. You know, Kittle was a fourth round pick coming out of Iowa. People weren't talking about George Kittle, certainly to him being, you know, one of the elites great. at the position. Um, but you know, what he was, a, he was a great blocker, was barely used in the past game, showed athletic upside. You know, it goes to the combine and blew the combine out of the water, but it was like, oh yeah, but the production wasn't there. You know, he's not a, he's not a pass game threat. He's just a great blocker who happens to be a great athlete. And lo and behold, now he's a featured part of the offense and he's the best tight end in the NFL. Uh, I think that, you know, there are players in this class that you can look at and say, all right, well, this guy's got traits to work with just because he wasn't a featured part of the offense doesn't mean he can't be a legitimate receiver. No. And, and, you know, my sense with long is he'll start his career as a tight end two and become a tight end one. And that will become a function of team and tight end usage. Uh, If he goes to a team that plays a lot of 12 personnel, I think he'll get a lot of snaps. Now I can't speak to how often a team will throw him the ball. And and for people listening who love fantasy, you know, I can't give you the the volume he's going to get in terms of targets. Um, But I think Hunter long is a good football player. And if he happened to go to a team that use the tight end a lot in terms of, of uh, targets, I think he could catch a lot of balls relatively early in his career. Mm. You know, he's a, he, this guy is just a good player. Um, and I'm very anxious to see who drafts him. All right. So we got three on offense. Let's go three on defense. Now let's go to the defensive line. Uh, this guy, a little bit of a hybrid player in that he used an edge rusher early in his career, converted to defensive tackle this past year as a junior. Uh, I have been very, very high on this player. I would say uh, higher than most. And that would be Louisiana tech defensive lineman, Milton Williams. Uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts uh, on what you've seen from Williams during your f- uh, film study. Yeah. And, and then I saw he had his pro day a couple of days ago and uh, ridiculous, pretty, pretty yes. remarkable. He ran a four, six, three with a 38 and a half inch vertical at six, three, two eighty four. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty ridiculous. Yes. Um, I think his, his athleticism clearly shows up on tape too. I mean, uh, he's a very smooth, fluid athlete. He's got natural quickness, agility, change of direction. Um, I went back and looked at some 2019 as well because I wanted to see how much D tackle and D end he played because I was trying to figure out watching his tape what I thought he could be in the NFL. Is he an edge player? Is he a D tackle? Because normally you don't think of D tackles necessarily at 284 pounds, although the game has changed in the NFL. Um, I thought he was a really good run defender. I thought he played with excellent leverage, hand usage. I thought he controlled and displaced O-linemen. Now you'll get into the same issue with, you know, he didn't play at a power five school, but all we can do is watch the tape. Um, So I think, what is he? I didn't see him, even though he's a very good athlete, I didn't see him as twitchy as an edge player. So when all said and done, I kind of thought he could develop into a 4-3 D end, but that he might be a D tackle. He certainly could play inside and sub fronts and rush the quarterback. So that's the way I kind of saw him. Yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, like – can he be a Michael Bennett kind of player player for, for an NFL defense? Uh, and everybody's looking for those guys that can play outside, but essentially can be disruptors in the interior, uh, whether he's a full-time defensive tackle or if he's a, you know, quote unquote base D end in a, you know, in your four man front and then uh, on passing down slides inside. Uh, I kind of wonder if that's the kind of career trajectory he could have. You know, it's funny you say that because Seattle in those years when they had Michael Bennett, they lined up in that kind of um, that, that over front if I'm not mistaken, but instead of having the D end outside the offensive tackle, they brought the D end inside and he essentially became a four eye. Yep. You know, 
And, and uh, I could certainly see Milton Williams in a role like that. Now, again, that becomes specific to a team and scheme, sure. but I think he can do that kind of thing. I was, I was impressed with him. You know, you, you were the one who mentioned him to me. I knew nothing about him. So when I popped on the tape, he was totally virgin territory. I mean, I obviously knew you liked him by the way you mentioned his name to me, right. but I but I knew nothing about him. So I was just watching him with no sense at all. Um, I also thought in 2020, since I did look at 2019, I thought he improved meaningfully in 2020. I thought he looked like a quicker, more athletic player than he did in 2019. And that's always a good sign especially considering the fact that he put on weight uh, to slide inside. So uh, yeah. that's what's interesting. I, I, I hadn't watched the 19 stuff at all, and, he, and still to this day have not. Uh, I'm going purely off of what I saw in 20, and, and I was really, really intrigued uh, with that player. Um, let's go to, to an next position here. Uh, another guy who has kind of worn a couple different hats for his defense, that's Derek Barnes, uh, the linebacker for Purdue, who ironically is doing his pro day uh, this week as well and has tested pretty well from the numbers that we have seen. Um, but Barnes, throughout his career, He's lined up at defensive end. He's also lined up as middle linebacker. So he's bounced back and forth. Yeah. Uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts on how you see him projecting to the NFL. Yeah, in 2019, he was predominantly an on-the-ball player. In 2020, he was predominantly an off-the-ball player, but then moved back to his edge rush on the ball in third and long type situations. Do you feel um, like that's like the, the role for him in the NFL? I think the pass rush role is going to be fascinating yeah. because he came in at 238. Today's his pro day, by the way. Uh, Tuesday's his pro day, which is today. Yep. So he came in at 238. Some of the numbers that have been put out there have been ridiculous. I mean, he had a four, he ran a four, five, seven, a 37 inch vertical. Um, he's got really long arms for a guy who's six feet and three eighths of an inch. Um, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, he's probably a stacked backer you know, as, as his base position. Yep. And I kind of liked him in that role. I mean, this kid's a physical kid. He's an aggressive guy. I mean, you, you don't see a lot of stack backers use their hands the way they did years ago, but he did. I mean, he attacked old linemen getting to the second level. He controlled them. He displaced them. There was a velocity and power to his game in the box. He had short area quickness. He finished as a tackler. And then as a pass rusher, I mean, like I said, he's six feet and three eighths and only 238. But right. the way in which he rushed the quarterback reminded me of Brandon Graham. Now, Graham probably weighs close to 30 pounds more and is probably an inch and a half taller. And those that those are meaningful differences. So I don't know if Barnes can do that. But this kid has a lot of power in his body. Um you know, he rushed a quarterback in the Big Ten, and he had a one-arm stab. He would just shove, you know, offensive tackles back. Um, you know, I, I, he was really good as, as a looper in the stunt game. You know, he's there's a lot to like about this kid. I, I, I really liked his tape. You just saw the power and velocity with which he played. It was impressive. One of a handful of guys in this class that really the uh, so many teams are going to view him differently. You might view him as a straight edge rusher. You might view him as a Sam backer. You might view him as a Mike that can come down and be a part of your blitz package. He's a really interesting player uh, in terms of his overall projection and his usage in the NFL. Uh, let's get one last guy. And Barnes, he was down at the senior bowl. So was Aaron Robinson, the, the defensive back from Central Florida, uh, played outside corner uh, early in his career with UCF, then slid inside to the nickel this past season. Uh, former big-time recruit, went to Alabama. That's where he started his career yeah. and transferred uh, to UCF. Uh, what did you see from Robinson on film? I I've talked about him a lot over the last couple of months just because of uh, our prep for the Senior Bowl. 
Well, the first thing that stands out is I just love the way he plays. Yeah. And this kid plays with high level competitiveness and intensity and aggressiveness. I mean, he embraced the contact nature of the game. I mean, this guy, he was playing football. That That's the thing that immediately stood out. You know, the term that I've actually gotten from a friend uh, a number of years ago, but I love it, is he had an outstanding playing personality. Um, and uh, I, I guess you have to decide whether you think he's a slot or an outside, or maybe he's both, depending on the team. But uh, he's he'll play the run. He's he's tough. He'll stick his nose in there. Um, I think that he's got the traits to to uh, to play man coverage. Uh, he can play zone with plant and drive ability and closing burst. You know, he was physical and press man in the slot. Um, I thought he had good foot quickness. I thought he changed direction well. He's, he's not a burner. Like, I, you know, I, I I don't know if he had his pro day yet. I, 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 I don't played. believe so. No, not yet. No, I, I mean, I don't think he's going to run a 4-3-7 to you or anything like that. But but I think he plays at a fast pace. He plays with velocity. Yeah, he's a, a really scrappy player. And again, I don't want to yeah. dive too deep because there are longtime listeners know I've been I've been talking about him for a couple months. But uh, I agree with you that his competitive nature pops off the film. Uh, the versatility is certainly going to be important for him moving forward. And I think he just transitions well uh, to the nickel. And, you know, the people kind of talked about him as all, you know, at 6'1", 200, watch the way he moves. I think the math, the equation kind of changed a little bit when he went waved into the senior ball. He came in under six foot. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, yeah. that kind of changed a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. But I think still, I mean, this guy's a, a really good player and his mirror match ability is impressive. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a really, really fun player. Uh, so I was excited to hear that you did like him. But uh, Greg, this has been a fun discussion as always. We'll be back next week. We've got a few more weeks uh, to talk some prospects here on Pick 6 on the Journey to the Draft podcast. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, joining us here on Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast, uh, a guy that is a really sharp follow. And if you aren't already, make sure you go follow at Hayden Winks on Twitter. Hayden, thanks so much for joining us, man. He joins us from NBC Sports. I should say NBC Edge. I, I'm yeah. always, I, I've been trying to correct <laughs> myself. Uh, previously, Roto World and NBC Sports. Uh, Hayden, thanks for joining us on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I still make that mistake. It's kind of like saying San Diego Chargers or <laughs> Oakland Raiders all over again. Yeah, it's, it's just as big of a transition, I guess. <laughs> no, no question about it. So uh, for people that are unfamiliar with your work, um, you, know, you do a, a lot uh, in terms of obviously the, the fantasy space, but uh, trying to project these guys moving forward. You've done a lot of work on uh, you know looking at these draft prospects. So before we get into individual players, give people a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. And I don't want you to give away your secret sauce and the way that you kind of, uh, you know, go about your business, but uh, give people a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into your process and uh, how you try and project these guys moving forward. Yeah. So like two years ago, I just got as much data as I can going back like the last 15 years of the NFL draft and basically look to see by position. And then sometimes within positions, what stats from college are predictive and which ones aren't, and then how to, how to mesh those two together and then once I have my model projections and I, I like using percentiles, it's kind of easier to kind of grasp, Hey, this player is like a 95th percentile prospect. That's much easier to kind of, to sense how good of a prospect is. And then once I have that, that's kind of my anchor of my rankings. And then I'll watch film. I'll grab the other context. If there's off field stuff, I'll adjust for that. And then I finally submit my rankings afterwards. So, um, the hard part was like two years ago, get, gathering the data, running the models. Now it just kind of spits everything out. So now yep. my life's a lot it's a lot quicker to, to run through some of these things. But yeah, even within the analytics community, there's a lot of debate on which stats matter, which ones don't. How do you contextualize each? Um, so I just like try to stick with my model. I think I kind of incorporate everything that I wanted to incorporate and just 
uh, see where it takes me. I got to think that like, you know, when, when you have that kind of mindset of like, oh, well, the numbers don't lie. There are a lot of numbers out there. So one person may say my numbers don't lie. Somebody yeah. else may say, well, my numbers don't lie. Uh, yep. You're going to get some of those arguments uh, for sure. And um, I think we're, uh, we're going to be talking about receivers here. And yeah. even within receivers, like there's like a term that everyone uses, like breakout age yep. and college dominator. And those are very predictive stats by themselves. But if you're only looking at those things, you're kind of missing some some contextual things. So like I would say one thing that I probably do that most people don't is I, in my models, incorporate strength of schedule or like a team strength because I was noticing I had Andy Isabella way too high sometimes because he was super productive. And then I'd be missing out like on Michael Thomas's or, like, or uh, a Bama receiver that was like the number three or number four receiver. And they just were kept getting screwed because the teammates were so good. And I don't want to... Uh, leave that part of the equation out too. So um, even within the analytics community, there's all the debate within the film guys, there's all the debate. I'm trying to like kind of go right between those two lanes and kind of just uh, be by myself. When you were building out your formula, were you basically like saying like, okay, I'm going to take a 10 year sample. Let me plug yeah. in this formula and just see what, what worked, what was it that was most predictive. And then I'm just going to use that moving forward. That was basically the process. Yeah. But I don't want to be using stats. I don't think that like even if it if it's telling me it's predictive, but if it doesn't make like intuitive sense to me, I don't want to yeah. be using those. Like everything I was trying to do needs to like check out. Like yeah. there's a kind of how I always look at it. Somebody um, in like the NBA gambling space, he was like, if my model was wasn't saying that LeBron James is the best player in the league, then my model stinks. So I right. always use that framework. All right, if Kyle Pitts is not coming out as a 99th percentile tight end, that means my model is missing something here. So. I always want to keep it at least making some sense along the way because you can get out of like out of control really quick if you're messing with the, the data too much. So that is a perfect transition. You could tell that you've been in this space for a while because that was the, the perfect way to get into the first player I wanted to ask you, and that was Kyle Pitts. And the way I was going to frame it was when you have a player that is as unique as Kyle Pitts, can that be tough when you're trying to predict and look back on previous cases and say like, yeah, he's like this player. We we haven't seen a guy with this skill set, this level of production, that age from that level of competition to go this high in the draft. So I'm yeah. interested to kind of get your thought. What was it like kind of, uh, you know, crunching the numbers on Kyle Pitts and, and how do you view him projecting to the league? Well, this is how rare he is. He, he There's a chance he's going to be the number one prospect in my model. It's basically going to be him or Vernon Davis. It kind of just comes down to what the, the final testing is and yep. basically how high he goes in the draft. But we're talking about like super rare, like above TJ Hawkinson. I liked TJ Hawkinson. Above Noah Fan, I really liked him too. He's just like in his own tier. And what I, somebody asked me is like, hey, could you put Kyle Pitts in your wide receiver model? Because like obviously wide receivers project better. And yep. Kyle Pitts was a 97th percentile wide receiver. So the one the one thing about Kyle Pitts I always find interesting with the tight end conversation is I would be pretty skeptical of taking one inside the top 10 just because it's kind of a risky position. But the one benefit you get is if you really believe in that tight end, the contract is just so much easier. Like Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, they're paid like they're like the 16th, 17th best receiver in the league. And to me, I would have rather have George Kittle than Travis Kelsey than just about maybe – Maybe there's like two or three receivers I'd rather have, and maybe maybe not. That's not even the case. So you're getting a pretty pretty big contract bump if if Kyle Pitts does survive the four years, gets that fifth year uh, team option, then earns that payday. It's going to be cheaper than some of the receivers, and I think that Kyle Pitts is in that rare breed where I would be really considering him very high in the draft. It's a good point by you because I remember I was listening to you know Greg Olson had a series of podcasts last summer where he interviewed a bunch of different tight ends and you know he had Tony Gonzalez on and just listening mm -hmm. to those guys talk about about the game was cool but he made a great point in that 
there were so much, there was like such a small amount of elite tight ends at the position that, you know, when it was just Tony Gonzalez, like he's not competing with anybody. There's nobody yeah. raising the ceiling salary wise. So, you know, the tight end position is just so far behind, uh, even though those guys can have such big impacts uh, on an offense. So uh, looking at that, if you feel great about his transition, if you feel really good that he's going to be this player, then long run, you, know, you might be getting a, a little bit of a deal. That's, I, I think that's a good point on your end. Outside of that, is there anything, anything from your standpoint that you're like, yeah, I just, I just wouldn't take a tight end that high. No. Um, especially because he's more receiving first. And obviously you want to, you want a tight end that can do everything. And I think Kyle Pitts can do everything. I mean, he's, he's only 20 years old and he's going to be 20 years old when he takes his first snap in the NFL too. And he's 240 pounds. He'll probably get to 250 by the time he's in the league or a couple years into the league. So he'll get better as a blocker, but I see him like on that, that Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, where he is, could be your ex receiver at the same time. Um, So I'm more than comfortable with that. If it's, I think Hawkinson was kind of, I probably wouldn't have taken the top 10 just because I didn't see like the rare ability as a, yep. as a receiving tight end. I thought he was going to be very good at both spots, but if I'm drafting a, a tight end that high, I want him basically to be more or less my ex receiver. And I think that Kyle Pitts like certainly could do that. Yeah. I think that's the difference between trying to compare him to a guy like uh, TJ Hawkinson for sure. Let's get to some of these receivers. And you know, when you look at some of the best receivers uh, this past year, you look at Kyle Pitts, look at Devonte Smith, but uh, we were missing one in Jamar chase, obviously when he opted out uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts on Jamar chase first, how do you view him uh, projecting the league and where did he kind of rank for you once you crunch the numbers on him? Yeah. 99th percentile. His, his profile is just out of control. And I think that he's the easily the best X receiver in this class. And I think the more I study, I'm like 10 or 10 to 12 receivers deep. Now there are a lot of slot options. There's a lot of guys that can play flanker. There are not that many true X receivers and Jamar chase stands out at that point. He's really young, super productive, came from a big school. Um, he's very physical on tape too. So I think that he's just in his, a tier of his own at X receivers. I think that if you needed a slot type, some, some, someone really speedy, I, I would consider Jalen Waddle in the top 10. Same thing with Devonta Smith. But if you're looking for like a, a receiver that needs 10 targets per game, I would be way more comfortable going Jamar Chase than the other two guys. Um, and no disrespect to those guys. I just think that Jamar Chase can kind of live up to like being an eight to 10 target guy. And that's, that's kind of a, a hard trait to find. And mm. especially for the Eagles, I project Jalen Rieger is like more of like a number two and number three receiver kind of take the top off. I don't really see him projecting as like an eight to 10 target player. And I think that he would be, uh, it would be a good sign to get somebody that can be that guy. And then Jalen Rieger can kind of show off his traits as like a five to six target player. When, when you are looking at these players and you plug, do you have different sets of formulas for uh, X receivers versus, you know, a, a Z or a slot or is everything kind of go in to one formula and then you split it out afterwards? Yeah. So everything's going to go into one formula. I do have two different formulas for athleticism, but athleticism when it comes to wide receivers is really tricky. And I don't want to chop my data set too, too thinly. Cause then you're like, you're, you're, you might be like throwing out some really predictive things, but yeah, I, I do try to be cognizant with the athleticism and like some of the research I've had is like the three cone, the short shuttle that matters a lot more for your slot receivers, your, your smaller receivers, sure. which makes sense. Like that's exactly when you're watching them, they have to be cutting back and forth. And then when you're talking about like a six, two, six, three receiver, then it's more like the speed score, which is just like weight adjusted, uh, um, speed and those and like uh, vertical jump matters more. And that's basically what we're seeing. And th- that's what I want to kind of check. I want to be able to measure what I'm seeing on tape. And when you're looking at slot receivers, they're cutting in and out of their breaks. You're looking, talking about an X receiver or somebody that's going down the field. 
they're jumping a lot more. It's all about speed. So like when my numbers are uh, basically measuring that, that's when I'm like, okay, I feel very comfortable using it. Let's get to uh, these Alabama receivers with Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. When you, when you look at those two guys, uh, how do they project for you moving forward? Yeah, Devonta Smith's also 99th percentile. I would okay. say that just him being a little smaller makes him a little more risky than um, Jamar Chase, but I, he looks really good. And I thought um, just because you're playing in the SEC, you're going to get a little more press coverage than the, some of the other um, conferences. And there weren't too many plays where I thought he was – looking too small. I mean, there's a couple where he's getting pushed out of bounds on like some kind of like, uh, fades, but for the most part, he was like, he looks kind of like in that Justin Jefferson role or mold where he looks pretty small, but he's really explosive. And he just seems like he understands football at a different level than a lot of these other receivers. And that was kind of what you were getting with Justin Jefferson too, where like you just like, I'm just keep picturing Devonta Smith against his zone defense, just like having every understanding of how to work, work those zones and his, his, I mean, his last year was obviously incredible. You win the Heisman and he went to Alabama. There's, there's really no, uh, nothing much more to say outside of that. Um, it, to me, it's just with these, these top guys, it's, it's just like team fits. If you need an X receiver, it's for sure. Jamar Chase, if you kind of already have that in the building, then I would, uh, I wouldn't mind taking Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle. And then how do you look at Waddle uh, in terms of overall his projection? Yep. 91st percentile. So that's like basically like around like the 15th overall pick is where I would feel comfortable taking him super explosive from the slot. Obviously there is some ankle concerns. Um, he missed basically half the season, but he, his per target, his per routes numbers are even better than Devonta Smith's. Yep. And he, he provides a little more physicality from the slot than like you would think his size would indicate, especially when he's going vertical. Some of these jump ball, like that one at Missouri was, was insane. insane. I'm yeah. just insane. So um, if you, if you already have an X receiver on your team, I wouldn't be, I would consider taking Jalen Waddle over Devonta Smith. Once again, it just really comes down to what kind of team you you're, you're building. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not afraid of Jalen Waddle's like production. Like some people in the analytics community are like, I'm not just kind of like the Henry Ruggs situation where like he wasn't as um, productive as you'd like, but I mean, just watch the tape. It's just so incredible. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, I mean, his, his skill set is, is tough to find uh, when yeah. you have a guy that that's just that explosive and that's twi- that twitched up uh, not just in a straight line, but also laterally uh, as well. Um, I want to ask you about some of these other speed receivers. Cause I feel like one bucket uh, you get into like that, Kadarius Tony, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, uh, you know, Tutu Atwell from Louisville. When you look yep. at those guys, you know, and it's like late round one, early round two, middle round two, how do you split them up? Is there a, a tiering system with those guys and how you view them? Yeah, they're all pretty close. And that's what makes it really interesting because they all kind of, there's all this entire tier is like filled with slot guys. And that's why me, I'm not, I'm kind of wondering if Jalen Wall is like going to be a top 10 pick like he's a lot of people are projecting just because like you're not getting. Jalen Waddle, but you can get Rondell Moore around later. And that seems pretty interesting to me. So Rondell Moore out of this group is the one that's most intriguing to me. Obviously his pro day numbers came out and he's just going to be a total freak athlete. He's probably gonna be like a hundredth percentile um, athlete, 42 and a half inch vertical, like four, three speed. I mean, but you would see that the one thing with Rondell Moore and he's, he came out as an 87th percentile uh, prospect in my model is everything was basically within 10 yards of the line scrimmage. And a lot of it was schemed up. And he's had a lot of missed games due to injury. And that's, I mean, he's like five, seven, like 175 pounds or whatever he came in at. So that's the one concern with Rondell Moore. But when you watch him, it's kind of just like juiced up. Golden Tate is, I've seen that on Twitter and I completely agree with that. And I think that he is the best out of this bunch. 
So then my last question for you is based off the, off your model, is there a player or two that at receiver that you feel just like deserves more love? You're not, you're, you're confused as to why more people aren't talking about them. Yeah. So um, I'll sit with like round three. So there's a chance of these, these receivers actually do something. And I would go with Diami Brown and um, a lot of these guys we're talking about are slot guys. He's somebody that can win on the perimeter. I think that he can be a number two receiver. I don't envision him being like a 10, eight to 10 target player, but if you're looking for a five target player that can win, win vertically, I think that he was, he was the, the best out of that bunch. Um, 76 percentile in my model. He's only 21 years old. Another big thing to look for is if you're declaring early and like the sign with that is the NFL told you to come out. Um, so if, if maybe your production didn't line up, like somebody that would be an early declare, but if the NFL is telling you to come out early, that's a sign. So that was, that's Diane Brown in those two boxes. And then if you're talking about way later in the draft, I'll throw out two names. Okay. Marlon Williams from UCF. He was a very stocky slot receiver. He had very good production last year. He didn't look very fast, um, but I think that he can be a, a blocking slot type. Like I wouldn't be surprised if like the Ravens found value in like Marlon Williams. And the last guy is Warren Jackson, and he didn't play last year. Yep. But he had over a thousand yards, eight touchdowns um, two seasons ago, and he's six six. Yep. Two twenty, and he. Didn't look very fast either, but these are just kind of the profiles where like, okay, he's like sitting there in like round six, round seven. Um, if you're that big, maybe there is something to that. And he's his, I mean, we kind of saw with T Higgins, T Higgins was, I mean, not as big as Warren Jackson, obviously he's just a better player overall, but people were concerned about his, his 40 time. Mm. But when you're very productive and you're that big as a receiver, I think there might be something to that. Uh, for, I've said this before on the podcast, but when, when watching Michael Gallup, when he was at Colorado state, uh, you know, this happens all the time where we're watching a guy and you're like, who, who's this guy over here? And it was Warren Jackson, his true <laughs> right. freshman years. Like, man, like this kid is six, six. And you should see him, uh, climbing up to the second level, uh, a long strider who could certainly eat up some grass, but, yeah. uh, Hayden, dude, this has been awesome. Uh, first time here on the podcast. I know I've, I've joined you in the past. Thanks so much for joining us here on the journey to the draft podcast. Uh, excited to follow you here moving forward. Hope all of our listeners again, go follow Hayden on. On Twitter at Hayden Winks. Dude, thanks so much for jumping on. Thanks, Ben. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, well, let's keep this show rolling here with Draft Buzz as I welcome in my friend Ben Fennel. And Ben, uh, I te- teased it earlier, but we're going to hit on a three-round mock draft here on the show where we're, we're going to hit on uh, Mike Renner's latest mock draft, a three-rounder over at Pro Football Focus. You can go check that out uh, over at PFF. And uh, this is a fun one to kind of dig into. Yeah, absolutely. Now we have uh, three rounds close to or just over 100 picks to evaluate. So that gives us a really nice kind of snapshot of the pecking order uh, and some team fits in the uh, the eyes and mind of Mike Renner. That's right. So uh, usually, obviously, we're all, we only have 32 picks to work with. But here with three different rounds, we're going to structure these questions a little bit differently. And we will start with round one. And, and here's my uh, here's the first category. Most eye popping pick. In round one, you could take that however you want it, whether it's a surprise, something that you really love, something that you hated. Uh, what was the most eye popping selection for you in the first round of the draft? Well, at this point of draft analysts, I really like to see the positional stackings. I want to see where they think certain guys are going to go uh, in combination with the rest of the class. So a lot of people want to know who's that receiver for been talking about that quite a bit over the last month or so cornerback four just as intriguing but receiver four after waddle devonta smith jamar chase mike renner has terrace marshall at a lsu as a first round pick going 25 overall to the jaguars 
Now, this kind of territory has been popular for a lot of these slots and gadget players to go in the back end of round one into day two. But he actually has Terrace Marshall here in the spot, which is a really interesting height, weight, speed, length type of receiver. Excellent down in the red zone. Might be one of the more complete receivers in this draft, but just a uh, kind of a fit and a projection I haven't seen across a lot of mock drafts so far. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting connection, a really interesting uh, kind of way to, to look at that position for sure. Uh, I went with one, just, and I've said this numerous times to you, Ben. Um, Walker Little, the left tackle from Stanford, is one of the wild cards of this class and just trying to see a, where people view him going. And it would not shock me at all if he were a surprise first-round pick. The guy hasn't only played one game in two years but And it was not even like, oh, yeah, he played one game this year. He played last in September of 2019. We have just not seen him for a year and a half. But Walker Little to the Green Bay Packers at 29 overall. Not only do I love the fit, I love the idea of Walker Little going to the Green Bay Packers. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I also love the value of that. I, I love Walker Little, the prospect. I lo I've i loved him on film. Uh, so seeing him go that high, uh, that one caught me off guard. I, I was excited to see that selection. You know, he's one of these players that can be a first round pick and we'll say, OK, we saw that he could be a fifth round pick and we'll look at it back Makes and sense. say, you know, the same kind of reaction. I think yeah. he's one of the more polarizing prospects in this draft. And one other position group, just a note on. Yeah, he has Jason Owe and Gregory Rousseau going in the first round and Jalen Phillips falling to the second round. Now, when you just look at the tape. I think Jalen Phillips is an exponentially better prospect and a better fit, I think, to be a first-round pick. Um, but obviously, all three of these guys have a lot of different questions, both on the field, off the field, testing-wise, uh, production-wise. So this edge group, I think, is all over the place with people's different uh, views on the uh, stacking order. I think that this is the time of year, like you mentioned earlier, like where the stacks really kind of come into question. It's like, all right, like let's let's see, uh, you know, how these guys are are going to get ranked, you know, one over the other, uh, and that is an interesting one for sure. Certainly a big takeaway from this mock draft, and I do understand why you would have Jalen Phillips uh, falling to round two for what it's worth. And speaking of round two, uh, let's get to our best fits. In round two, I'll let you go first here. What was the, uh, the the selection that really just made the most sense to you when you looked at the second round of this mock? Well, two kind of Midwest teams out here. I love to see Liam Eichenberg at 54 to the Colts, a yep. guy that I've been kind of comparing to Anthony Costanzo. I think uh, he's a local kid out there, just a bus ride away from Indianapolis. They need a tackle. Having some offensive wind up, I think is great for that Colts team. And then I really like Carlos Boogie Basham going 62 overall to the Packers. Uh, I think he's a really good fit to kind of pair with Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary and just that height, weight, speed, play, temperament, effort, motor, anything. You'd be a really great fit and probably give Preston Smith some uh, some run for his money for playtime. See, I love both of those players. And in this year, with all the uncertainty in the draft, I almost view both of those guys as like, I don't want to say lock because there's nothing that's a lock, but like locks for round one. Like I look at Eichenberg like, that guy's a first-round pick all day. We've seen so many linemen in the last three, four, five years, offensive tackles that not impressive, not like super sexy, not like dancing bear, but solid players that go 21st overall, 24th overall, 27th overall. Why can't that be Eichenberg? I, I almost look at him the same way. And then I look at Basham. We have all these questions about all these other pass rushers, all the underclassmen. But then you look at Basham and you just like check, box check, box check, box check, box check. He tested well, box check. Like, that's a good player. I, I, I kind of wonder if he just finds his way into round one when it's all said and done, too. We almost need to do a segment each week called Scouting Synonyms. Mm. Because you said these two guys you think are a lock for round one. And I see yep. it in your face. What does that really mean? 
These are two high floor players. Yep. What does that really mean? They're safe players. What does that really mean? <laughs> you know what you're getting out right. of these guys. Yep. These are experienced players that have played a lot in college football at a high level, and you've seen them at ad nauseum to know what you're getting. There isn't a whole lot of guesswork with their on-field presence. Mm. Now, some may say the on-field part's easy. Now it's all about figuring out who the people are, who's the teammate, the coworker, the member of society. That's what teams are going through right now with the Boogie Bashams and Liam Eikenbergs. Mm. And if they end up being Boy Scouts model citizens, they're first round picks all day long. And Which, at by the, the way, very worst, that seems to be the book on both of those. And at the very part. worst, yeah. they're around two players. Yep. So you want to call them a lock, you want to call them safe, you want to call them high floor, X, Y, Z. These are two guys you know what you're getting. Yeah, I think both guys uh, certainly fit into that category. For me, uh, best fit in round two, I was looking for players like kind of the opposite of what we're talking about, where I think it, it is going to be interesting where the situation will really help this player develop and reach that ceiling. I'm not sure if that'll be the case everywhere. And I think Joseph Osai from Texas is that kind of a player, like you know, a bit of a projection. We've only seen one real year from him as a pass rusher, and it was just okay. Uh, previously, was an off-ball player uh, for the for the Longhorns. So him going to the New York Giants in round two, yeah, you know, ideally they get a player that can give them more juice right away, that can kind of help them right now. And Osai, I think in certain packages can do that. But when you look at his versatile skill set, going to Patrick Graham's defense, where, again, it comes from that Bill, that Bill Belichick's uh, tree, where uh, they're going to be very multiple up front. They're going to do different things, line guys up in different techniques. You might be, uh, you know, think of Kyle Van Noy, where you're off ball, stacked one play, lined up over the tight end another, and then got your hand in the dirt, rushing the pass or the next. I feel like Osai can fit in that kind of a scheme. I can envision that kind of uh, that kind of role for him, uh, at least to make an impact early on while he grows. And so uh, that one was a fit that just ma- kind of made sense for me. Yeah, and he's a really tough one to project because he's done so many different things for that Texas defense in the front. He's worn a lot of hats, hasn't done anything consistently. So you get little flashes of Mike, Will, sub rusher. Is he, you know, a nickel Sam out in space? Is he just a special teams motor sub package guy? He's done so many different things. I think we can kind of envision and project to a lot of different schemes, but uh, there to the Giants in round two, I think is a nice fit. Uh, Let's go to the next one here. Let's go to round three. Uh, Anything that you saw that in terms of the best value in round three. So we did uh, most eye-popping round one, best fit round two, best value round three. What stood out to you? This is where you make your money. This is where you fill out the roster here, friend. Day two is where it's all about. Forget day three, day one. And there's tons of value. There's value at the wazoo out here. You got Eric Stokes falling in the third round to Detroit at 72. How about Bolton two picks later to the Washington football team at 74? But go down a couple more picks. Levi Onzarike, I think, to the Minnesota Vikings is a great pick for Mike Zimmer. And he's a guy that they absolutely need with some inside outside versatility. Um, I don't really know where he's going to play next at the next level. And just like Osai played up and down that defensive line at the University of Washington, where you saw flashes as a five tech flashes as a three tech. It's pretty athletic as a zero and some sub packages a lot, did a lot of different things. So I think owns Enrique to get a guy like that in the third round who you can go back to last May, June, August, October, you're going to find owns Enrique and everybody's round one mock drafts. Yep. This guy's got tons of potential, tons of upside. And I think if the Vikings get him in round three, that's a great, great value and a steal, in my opinion. And if people look at that and say, okay, well, how does, for all the good things you just said about Onzerike, how does he fall to round three? And I think there's two, there's two, well, really, there's three different things. I would say these are the knocks. Uh, 
number one, his size. People are going to are going to ding him on the size and what's his best role. Obviously, the opt out this year uh, certainly you know that 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 doesn't help things. But and then also he's been dinged up throughout the course of his career. We saw that down in Mobile. He you know he got dinged up early in the week. So uh, minor injuries here and there at that frame, and then just from a production standpoint, hasn't been great. So that would be the path, and that's the thing. Like I look at Onzerike. People know that if you've been listening to this podcast for the last year, I love Levi Onzerike, but uh, I think that we always have these conversations. We're like, oh, there's no way that guy falls to round three. It's like, well, guys fall every year. Well, what's the path to him falling? How does a guy like that fall to round two? How does he fall to round three? That's what would happen. That's how a guy like that can fall through the cracks. Um, for me, and this was maybe this was low-hanging fruit, Ben, to me, the, t- the top two picks of round three, I just looked at that and I was like, okay, the Jaguars and the Jets, getting two corners there and Aaron Robinson and Ifatu Molothanu, two guys that we saw down at the senior bowl, getting those two at the top of round three, two guys that I feel like are future starters. Yeah. Great value there in round three. I almost was like, all right, I'm going to stop. I don't need to look anymore for the, for the top <laughs> value. Those two guys, um, you know, at the, at the top of the round would make a lot of sense. It would make those two teams very happy would be my guess. And honestly, Fran, I could have done this whole pod on round three. The next pick, Tylen Wallace. Next pick, Brevin Jordan. Next Good pick, players. Milton Williams. The last pick in round three, Baron Browning to the Saints, who I've yep. been comparing to Demario Davis. Perfect fit projection, kind of uh, forecasting there. Just loaded with talent on day two. I'm so excited for day two in the draft because it's a fluid kind of evaluation ball with these day two players. There could be those round one guys to slide, those round four guys that teams really love. Day two is the most exciting part of the draft, in my opinion. And Renner's three-round mock draft is just making me sit up in my chair, kind of getting ready to be out in Cleveland. So uh, we've talked about you know some of these teams, uh, the great value they got in round two, round three. Which team in this mock draft had the best haul? If you had to pick one where you're like, oh, man, I, I just love If this team were to walk away with this group, that would be an impressive haul. Well, I'm going to kind of group a couple teams together, and they're all okay. in the same division. That's this NFC North. Love Green Bay. Everybody wants weapons around Rodgers. No, three straight picks in the trenches. Oso, Diggy Zoo out of UCLA. Boogie Basham. Walker Little. Talked about that. It's good Minnesota. Minnesota again. Trench, trench, trench. You got Darisaw, Wyatt Davis going O-line, O-line. Then owns Enrique. And how about the Lions getting out of that spot at three, which I think they need to do at all costs. You still get Jamar Chase. But then you load up with Zavin Collins, Eric Stokes, Hufanga. It's a great little haul there with a weapon on offense and three really good defenders. I know I'm leaving out the Chicago Bears. You know, maybe maybe they'll yeah, pick up some day three picks out yeah, there. Right, yep. These are some really good NFC North players that I'm excited to watch. I actually love that Eric Stokes fit, too, uh, in Detroit because um, Aaron Glenn, who is the defensive coordinator now there, comes from New Orleans. They played a ton of man coverage. Uh, that that identity, uh, that fits. I, I really like that selection there. Uh, for me, I just went with one team because I didn't cheat this question like you did. Uh, I, I went with one <laughs> team here, the Denver Broncos. Uh, they trade down with the Patriots. So the Patriots move up. I believe they selected Mac Jones. So the Broncos trade from nine to 15. They pick up an extra pick with that, with that in mind. So they get Jeremiah Owusu-Kormo around one. They get Asante Samuel Jr. And, and Javon Holland in round two. And then they get Aleem McNeil in round three. So they completely remake that back seven between free agency and the draft. You look at what Denver comes away with, uh, with Vic Fangio, Owusu-Kormo, <laughs> Asante Samuel Jr., Javon Holland, Ronald Darby. They re-signed John Johnson, um, or uh, not John Johnson, the uh, the Justin Simmons. Uh, they you know they bring in Kyle Fuller. They bring in Javon Holland. That's a that's a good group. <laughs> and then you get Aleem McNeil, uh, the dancing panda there, a defensive tackle in round three. 
That's a that's a good group for the Denver Broncos. <laughs> well, they drafted all those playmaking weapons last year on the offensive side, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. I bet they torched through that defense in practice. Now we got to start covering these guys. And now right. they go the other way and start loading up defensive backs. Man, if the Broncos walk out of this draft with a Wusu Koromoa, Asante Samuel Jr., Javon Holland, woof, that's a great, great defensive back haul and uh, a lot of playmakers in those three. So this tra- that required a trade down from the Broncos to have four picks in the top three rounds. Well, the Eagles, they already have four picks in the top three rounds. So uh, let's take a look at Mike's Hall here for the Philadelphia Eagles. First round, he's got them taking Kyle Pitts. And here's the blurb here uh, from Kyle Pitts. Positional value be damned. You will not find another Kyle Pitts in this draft or any other draft anytime soon. The Eagles can find a receiver later or even use Pitts as such if they want. The Florida tight end ranked third among all college football players last year in yards per route run versus man coverage. So uh, he's got Kyle Pitts in round one. Round two, he's got the Oklahoma pass rusher, Ronnie Perkins. And then in round three, Deami Brown, the speedster from North Carolina, an outside receiver. And then Robert Rochelle, the toolsy corner from Central Arkansas, who was down at the Senior Bowl, had an outstanding pro day workout recently as well. So, Ben, uh, let's talk it through this hall. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about Kyle Pitts. I don't know if there's anything more we could add to that discussion. But uh, what do you think of those, uh, those guys in the back end? Ronnie Perkins, Deami Brown, Robert Rochelle. Well, starting backwards, Robert Rochelle, really interesting, long press corner. Ronnie Perkins, really fluid, athletic edge rusher. So definitely excited to add that type of speed uh, to the defensive side. Deami Brown definitely has that playmaking ability down the field. Can also do some with some yards after catch. We know Kyle Pitts, but just a really interesting kind of four-player profile there. Who would you be most excited about uh, adding and playing right away out of that group? I mean, Pitts for sure. I I think Pitts is just, he is such a stud. He is a unicorn at the position. Um, So he would be really, really exciting. And then I would say from those final three, I would say Perkins probably gives me the most juice. And I think when you look at him a little, and honestly, him and Brown are kind of similar in that when you watched them as sophomores in 2019, you would see like, all right, like both guys have straight line ability. They both have that explosive first step, that ability to get upfield and eat up grass, just a little bit unrefined. I thought Perkins had a little bit more, uh, you know, tech, you know, in terms of being able to win at the top of the rush. He had a little bit more to him. Deami Brown is a sophomore. I didn't think the route running was great. Apparently it was better here in 2020. I still have to finish up my study on Deami Brown, but uh, Perkins was a guy that, you know, high motor, making plays sideline to sideline, uh, kind of running around off the edge there for Oklahoma back in 2019. He's an impressive player. Um, and then Rochelle, I mean, Really, really toolsy player. You know, this is a guy that uh, he's got the length. He's got outstanding top end speed and he's got great ball skills. I, so honestly, like if you're taking that guy at the end of round three, uh, he's got the ability to outperform that draft slot. You're just gonna have a big jump in competition going from FCS to the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really interesting haul for players there. Um, yeah, I wonder if Robert Rochelle, if he's kind of a scheme fit projection isn't yeah, that's a good necessarily question. solid yet. Uh, right. He's played a lot of press man out there for UCA, but he's a big physical corner as well that if we do end up playing a little bit more zone coverage, I think he might be a fine fit there as well yeah. with those long wing limbs, the wingspan can obviously uh, disrupt and in getting into passing lanes and just throwing that body around. He's a very physical player, uh, a guy that's a willing tackler that I think would fit into a variety of schemes. You know, the tackling aspect of it is the, I was going to say like almost like a remember like Justin Lane last year at Michigan state. Like, and that was the thing with lane was that the tackling wasn't always great, but length, speed, ball skills, like that's usually, that's going to get you, get you drafted high. And I think lane ended up going was third round to the Steelers. Uh, it's, you know, he was somewhere, somewhere in that area. Um, I, that's where I think that is kind of the baseline 
for Robert Rochelle. The senior bowl was just okay, and I think he got dinged up uh, when he was down there, but definitely a, a really interesting player from a trait standpoint at the position. Well, Ben, uh, this was fun as always. Make sure you guys go check out Mike Renner's mock draft. You can go find it over at Pro Football Focus. Ben, you and I will be back early next week. Uh, we've got a big topic here to discuss. You, uh, myself, Dane, we got quarterbacks, uh, so we'll be previewing that next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Well, great stuff there, as always, from Ben. Fun to break down another mock draft. Now, as I said earlier in the show, uh, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out here uh, to Dran Fuffy, who left a five-star review on our Apple Podcast page, saying, this podcast delivers exactly what it claims to offer. I believe it's the best draft content out there. Thank you very much, Dran. Uh, the show consistently brings in premier guests, uh, guys who know football and understand it. Uh, a lot of good, kind words there uh, in the review, but they left a question at the end. Now, the question is, do you see any chance of the Eagles going outside the box with a running back in the second round? In Indianapolis, Nick Sirianni and Frank Reich loved using multiple backs and, and backs who can catch out of the backfield. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly that would be a little bit outside the box and that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about it. You never rule it out, right? I think when you look at uh, some of the other backs in this class that are going in that range, you know, that are talked about being going in that range, uh, you look at like a Javante Williams from North Carolina, even if a, a Najee Harris, uh, you never know with running backs, if they could fall a little bit further than you'd expect. So if a Najee Harris or a Javante Williams from North Carolina, with the way that their skills complement a Miles Sanders, I think both of those guys would fit really, really well alongside Miles. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out. You can't rule any position out. So uh, to me, yeah, like I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that would be something that would really excite me as well. I would love the idea of a Najee Harris or a Javante Williams, that, that kind of physical style, uh, the way that they, you know, they, they bring it to the defense, they bang it between the tackles, they've got good vision, they can make the first man miss, but they also are well-rounded players. They can catch the ball out of the backfield at all three levels of the field, and they also are good blockers as well. So uh, with all three, and this isn't a knock on Miles, I think that they would complement Miles uh, in a really, really interesting way. So uh, yeah, I would not rule out one of those two guys uh, You know, if they were there at the beginning of round two. Let's go to the last question here. Uh, Robot2099 left a five-star review, uh, and this wasn't really a question. It was just a, a nice review saying, Fran and company do an, an amazing job breaking down every position. Lots of inf- insight from various guests. They cover every team in an objective, knowledgeable way. These guys study the film, they know the game, and make great projections of how players transition to the NFL. Robot, thanks so much for the five-star review. That's our goal, is not just talk about the Eagles, and we're going to talk about the Eagles. It's going to be an Eagles-centric podcast, but we're always going to talk about all 32 teams. We're going to talk about players all across the scope of the NFL draft. So thanks so much for the support. Thank you for the five-star review. Thank you to Dran. Thank you to Robot. Thanks to everybody out there for your support here of the show. We'll be back uh, early next week. Myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler. We're breaking down quarterbacks early next week. Make sure you tune in right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.